it's great to have all of you here. Wasn't that amazing? Wasn't that amazing? Like, like this is what I live for. And it was funny. I shared in the first service, like, I have this love-hate relationship with water. I love baptisms. I love baptisms, but I despise the water. I'm afraid of water. I have been my whole life. So it's this interesting thing that God does in my life, right? How he stretches us and grows us. I just want you to know, um, after this service, there is a party happening in the cafe. So there's cake and there's a big celebration that's happening. So after the service, please feel free uh, to to head over there and be part of the party. Even if this is your first Sunday with us, you are more than welcome to come and join us and celebrate with those who have been baptized today. Um, Just a quick announcement to follow up on what was shared on the screen. So in two weeks, so two Sundays from today, we're having our annual general meeting. So this is a a time when we look at the past year, what God has done, and then look forward to the year ahead. Um, if you subscribe to the email that, that goes out on Fridays, the weekly email, and I know only 51.8% of you open it. <laughs> See, I'm a data guy. I'm a number guy. Data tells a story. And I love it when people say, I didn't know this was happening because you were part of the 49.2% who didn't open the email. Okay, so open the email, check it out. So if you subscribe to that email in the next day, you're going to get a copy digitally of our annual report. I'm hoping it all depends on how fast I get to Toronto right after this survey uh, service and plug into the Wi-Fi there at the hotel. So um, you'll get it hopefully today, if not by tomorrow morning. There are a few paper copies available because I know a couple of you don't use email for religious and political reasons. And so that's totally cool. We respect that. So there's paper copies as well. Or maybe if you're new and you're just kind of checking our church out, I would encourage you grab a copy of that in the back over there or in the cafe. You can learn a great way to learn more about our church family and all that God is doing. We, but we do want to try to keep the cost of it down. We don't want to print out 100 copies of this and then you throw it in the garbage. So we'd like to be good stewards of those resources. Send it out digitally. You should have it by, the, by tomorrow at the latest. And uh, if you want to re- start receiving that email, connection card, chair in front of you, put your name, your email address legibly, legibly, legibly. Some of, it's great having a church filled with doctors who can't. <laughs> spells so and then on the back just tick off that you want to receive the weekly update that's for anti-spam laws we need that to send that to you okay we want to be above reproach in the law of the land as well so today we are oh and one last thing so i just found out from the company that we rent the hot tub from that they can't come pick it up this week so they're only going to come and pick it up next week So if you have never taken that step of obedience, of being baptized, we can do this again next week. Okay, so if for those of you who are like, oh, I don't know, oh, should I, maybe, well, God has just answered that (laughs) for you. Okay, because I literally just got the notice, the email right now that they're not coming to pick it up until about the 17th or the 18th. So we got another Sunday with this here. So I'll make sure it's not all slimy next week. We'll make sure it's nice and clean. Um, but if you've not taken that step of being baptized, email me this week, Kevin at greenbelt.church. Emailing me and asking a question is not a commitment that you're doing it, but it's let's start the conversation to see if God you know, is calling you to do this at this time. So we are in the third week of a series called 10, and we are looking at a part of the Bible that is pretty much well-known by most people, whether you're a church person or not. We're looking at the Ten Commandments. 
And what we're doing is we're looking at the Ten Commandments to kind of challenge our thinking a little bit. Sometimes when a Bible passage becomes so familiar, we struggle with what's actually going on with it. We just, "Eh, I know this and move on to something deeper. Could we not just spend the next six years studying the book of Romans? Because that would be a lot more interesting. Could we just like just get into some deeper meat and some deeper theology? Well, I believe actually there's deep meat in every single Bible verse in your Bible. So uh, it doesn't always have to be a seven-year series on Romans. We can actually look at the Ten Commandments and realize, oh, snap, I'm not doing half of these. (laughs) Because God is more interested in how you live than what you just simply know. That's why we believe here as a church, our mission is leading people in knowing. We believe knowledge is incredibly important. But we want you to know God and who God truly is because we believe the more you know, it will change how you live. And as followers of Jesus in this culture, in this country, in this city, we live in a time now where I believe the world is desperate to see God in you. They need to see God lived out in your life. And that's why we know it, we live it, and then we share it. So today we're going to be looking at probably one of the most difficult commandments for modern day Christians to unpack. But before we unpack this one, I want to just start with a bit of a question. And I want to ask you, and this is audience participation time. I do want you to shout out your answer. You don't have to be polite and raise your hand. Just shout out your answer and shout it out loud enough so everybody online can hear you. Because No, so I can hear you because I need to know your answers. And so what I want to know is, what do you like to do on your time off? Go to the dog park. Dog people. Okay. I'm just kidding. I'm a cat guy. What do you like to do on your time off? What? Play. Play what? Video games. Video games. There we go. Okay. I like to play. Did did someone say clean? Someone said clean. Okay. So email the office at greenbelt.church. We have a program for people who are struggling, you know. Uh, We'll set up some pastoral care, some, some counseling services. Now, what else? What do you like to do on your time off? Read, hang out with friends, movies, have a nap, praise be to God. I heard something shout out over there. It's gone. Knit. Okay, so I'm asking the question literally because something incredibly weird happened to me a couple of years ago. And I think this is a part of my midlife crisis that I've been going through for the last couple of years is literally Two years ago, everything that I loved doing for fun, I began to despise. All of it. I'm not, and I'm not even exaggerating. Collecting comic books, what a colossal waste of money. These comic books are garbage. Okay, certain movies that I've kind of devoted my entire life to. Forty years I've committed to this movie. If you follow me on social media, you know what it is. And then the mouse bought it, and these movies are garbage. Okay, and I'm dealing with that anger now. Okay, and all of these hobbies and these pastimes that I love, I find myself not enjoying them at all anymore. They're not fun. They're not providing rest. They're creating more stress. They're creating more anxiety and anger and all these kind of weird feelings in my heart. Midlife crises are awesome. It's cheaper than a motorcycle, I guess. So, and I asked the question because when I, I'm literally in the market for a new hobby. 
I am. I'm in the market for a new hobby because the things I used to love to do, I don't enjoy anymore. And I'm starting to come up with ideas of things that I would like to do, but I can't afford any of them because I really think I would enjoy a 75 foot yacht in the Caribbean. Even though I hate the water, a 75 foot yacht in the Caribbean sounds kind of nice. I'm pretty sure I'd like that. You know, I'm actually thinking maybe I'd like a little bit of spear fishing. I, I don't know why. It's just kind of been on my heart. Again, sitting on this 75-foot yacht, sitting at the end with this big giant spear and a stogie and maybe a glass of bourbon or something on the rocks. And I'm just sitting there, pow, and just taking out sharks. That sounds fun to me right now. Okay, well, and here's, you know, and I'm kind of being a little tongue in cheek and being a little silly right now. But here's what's fascinating about the conversations that I have with you, the conversations that I have with people. When I ask people, what do you do for fun? What do you do to relax? I actually find more and more people when they hear that question, their response is, um, um, And you have to think about it. Isn't that weird? That you actually have to pause and think about what you like to do for fun. And to think and to pause on what you do in your life to relax. Doesn't that tell us something weird is going on with our lives? When we can't even articulate to people, this is how I relax. This is how I'm refreshed. Right? And people will tell me, well, I, I, I binge watch Netflix. That helps me relax. And then I, I kind of poke it and I ask a few more questions. And when you find out, oh, my goodness, I spent 11 and a half hours on a Saturday watching Netflix. <laughs> and then you're not relaxed anymore because you realize you didn't do the laundry, you didn't pay your bills, you didn't deal with your responsibilities, you're not relaxed. I talk to people who play video games, and I love these pay-to-win video games, or just another dollar, another dollar, another dollar, another dollar, another dollar, another dollar, and you get your visa bill. I spent $1,200 on this game this month? Ah! Okay, wasn't relaxing. We're kind of in this culture right now that is so sped up and so fast that we've lost the ability to relax. So today I want to look at this commandment number four in the Ten Commandments. How do we as modern day Christians in the world that we live in, what does God want to do in your life, in my life, in the church's life with commandment number four? And if you're not familiar with what commandment number four is, we're talking about the Sabbath. So let's read this. I'm going to read this from Exodus chapter 20, and I'm going to read starting in verse 8. If you want to follow along, you can download. Or so you can go to your web browser and your mobile device, go to greenbelt.church, click media, and there's a sermon outline available there. There's a brand new shiny Bible in the chair in front of you. If your family doesn't own a Bible, you may keep that one as our gift to you today. If you know somebody who doesn't own a Bible and you want to give that to them, you may take that and give it away as a gift to someone as well. We believe in giving the word of God away to as many people as possible. So Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8. These are the words that God spoke. And we saw throughout this series so far when God speaks, God speaks with a power that creates something. 
So God spoke these words. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, we've been talking about this word holy for the past couple of weeks. (laughs) Holy means to be set apart, that it is different, that it is sanctified, that it doesn't look like everything else around it. It is completely and totally different. God is holy, completely different and completely set apart from any other teachings of any other God. He's very different. Not all gods are the same. (laughs) Very different. God's people, God's call to the people of Israel at this time is to be people set apart. They are to look different than everybody else around them. And now God goes, remember the Sabbath day. So there's a day of the week that is going to be set apart and look different than every other day. Verse 9 continues, it says, six days you shall labor and do all of your work. This word labor, ladies who've had children can relate maybe to this word labor. How fun was that? It was work. It was hard. It was painful. I was just reading an article this week. I can't remember the country. I think it was France. But I'm not 100% sure, don't quote me on this, but there's a European country right now that is talking in their parliament about creating a three and a half day work week. And we all migrate to a three and a half day work week. God says, six days you shall labor. Labor. Do your work. It's hard. Suck it up. Three and a half days. You're soft. You're a wuss. Six days, you labor, you work hard. But the seventh day, you work and you work and you work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or your female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns, For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See, again, when we study the Ten Commandments, most of us automatically know what to do with it. (laughs) Like you automatically know what to do with the commandment, don't kill anybody. Does anyone need me to specify that one a little clearer? Don't kill anybody. But Kevin, what about if they, no, 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 no. It's don't kill anybody. Okay, It's, it's simple. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't give false testimony. Do not have another God above God. Like they're kind of clear on what we do with them. But this one. What do we do with keep the Sabbath day holy? There's no instruction on how to do it. There's no detailed plan on what it means to keep a Sabbath day holy. I don't have to give you a plan on how not to kill somebody. You know, just don't kill somebody. This is trickier, right? And the Jewish people 
had an intense desire to please God. I think sometimes we give the religious leaders of Jesus' day a bad rap, right? They weren't evil people trying to bring people to hell. (laughs) They were men. They were leaders. They were people who were so devoted to God. They wanted to do what's right. But they created laws and traditions and 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 forced people to behave a certain way and live a certain way and follow certain commands and certain traditions. And they actually, without, I think, intentionally meaning to do it, is they actually took people away from the heart of God in creating man-made rules that are more important to them than what God is actually doing. And it's fascinating when you study Ancient Israel, Israel in the times of Jesus, even Israel today, on the weight that Sabbath-keeping plays out in people's lives. When I was in my early 20s, my very first job out of school was I was a computer programmer. That was 20 years ago, back in the day when the computer that I programmed was a mainframe computer. It was about as big as this room You know, it was this massive, ginormous computer. We used to sit on these uh, screens that were the green kind of fluorescent screens. Anyone remember those? And we had like like 8-bit graphic cards. Like It was just, wow, it was so high-tech. It was so amazing. And we'd punch out hundreds of thousands of lines of code to produce one accounting report. It was crazy. But it was a blast. And I loved every minute of that job. But my very first boss... In my very first job was a very devoted Jewish man. Now, at the time, I wasn't a follower of Jesus. I had no religious experience at that time. I had a minimal, minimal Christian experience. I knew a little bit about Christianity from my upbringing. I knew nothing of Islam. I knew nothing of Buddhism. I knew nothing of Judaism. They were not even on my radar as a 20-year-old living in Montreal. And so this man, a very devoted Jewish man, like he would take me out because he's my boss and he's helping the new guy get integrated into the life of the company. And so he would bring me to restaurants that had all the religious laws and all the religious traditions. So he would actually bring me to a Chinese kosher restaurant. I mean, let that sink in for just a moment. I was just kind of like, what the heck is a Chinese kosher restaurant? And I'm doing my best as a 21-year-old to not completely, totally offend this guy by my total ignorance to his face, right? And he would get up, and he would order all the food for me. Then he would take some of the bread. Then he would go to the back of the restaurant, and he did something with it. I'm not quite sure what. He broke it. He sacrificed it. I prayed. I don't know. It was weird. I was uncomfortable. And he's like, here, eat this. This is really yummy. And I'm eating this bread. Going, this is disgusting. It's not bread. Okay, and I know bread because I'm addicted to carbs, and I have half a loaf of bread as a snack every day. Okay, like I I know bread. That was not bread. That was something else. And then we eat this food, and he's doing, and he's eating it all a certain way. And then we have chocolate cake as dessert. And again, I get this chocolate cake. as a, this is not cake. This is something else. There's like, where's the sugar? Where's the flour? Where's the milk? Where's the eggs? Oh, none of that's in there. It's something else. Trying not to be offensive. Okay. 21-year-old kid trying to figure out religion, right? And then he shared with me his family, what they do on the weekend, because they were a family that observed Sabbath. 
from Friday night sundown to Saturday night at sundown, his entire home was completely and totally automated. Now, as a computer geek, I thought this was cool. Okay, this is like next level technology cool. His coffee maker was programmed. Now, you got to remember, this was before we had coffee makers that you could program. He would buy special timers, plug them into the wall, and then plug the coffee maker into these special plugs so that everything was automated. So he would wake up and he would not work on the Sabbath. The coffee machine would work for you because the coffee machine is not your son or your daughter. It's not your female or male servant. It's not an animal. It's not a foreigner. So the coffee maker's okay. Okay. And then he would have food in the oven. And it was set up in such a way that the oven would turn on at several different times during the day. So the food that needed less cooking got the least amount. You took it out and you ate it. And then the other food you left in there all day. And by dinner time, it was cooked. Completely automated. Everything. So that they would not work. And he's explaining this to me. And the sheer amount of work that that family had to do to prepare for those 24 hours sounded exhausting. It's like, how is this rest? My goodness, I'd be paranoid of getting something wrong. Paranoid of, I didn't turn it on properly. I forgot to turn the coffee maker on. And you're sitting there going, and I'm addicted to coffee. And do I push the button? Is God going to hate me? Is God going to zap me with lightning if I just push the button? Right? This is what, again, and we can laugh about it, but this is the way some people live. It's the way people's religion keeps them in slavery. Because if I don't, then God will. If I am unable to, if I underperform, then God's wrath, then God's hatred, then God's judgment, then God removing me. And that's what happens again and again and again. It was true in the days of Moses. It was true in the days of Jesus. It's true today that our human heart has a hard time of knowing what to do with commandments like this because we want to obey God. We want to obey God. So let's jump over to Matthew chapter 2. And I want us to look specifically at the teachings of Jesus On this topic of Sabbath, because we have to ask ourselves, what do we do with Sabbath as Christians today? We know we're freed from the law, but is there still a law at work that we have to understand? So Mark chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 23. This is what's happening in the ministry of Jesus right now. It says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. Now, I want you to just kind of picture that in your mind for a moment. Jesus and his followers are walking through a grain field, right? And depending on the season and what type of grain it is, it could have multiple different heights. It might be up to your chest, might be taller, might be shorter. They're walking through a grain field, and they're picking some of the grain as they walk. They're taking the husk off. They're taking the kernels, the seeds, plopping it in their mouth, and they're eating it. Picture this. You're walking. You're laughing with Jesus. You're having a good time. Grab some grain. Put it in your mouth. You keep walking. Does that look like work? Does that look like labor? (laughs) Right? 
it's just, it's kind of like me when I'm walking along and I put on my winter coat for the first time. I put my hand in the pocket. There's candy. <gasps> there's candy. There's candy been in there all year when I put my winter coat away. I look at it. You smell it. Looks okay. I take the wrapper out. It's a little sticky and I eat it. That's what I do when I find candy. Okay. So there's something weird going on. This isn't some big, huge thing that's happening. It's just, they're just grabbing some grain, popping it in their mouths. Well, here's the thing. Religious people lose their minds over stuff like this, right? They lose their minds. Look how it continues. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? How dare you do this? How dare you break this law? And Jesus answers them. He goes, man, man, that's Kevin paraphrased. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, have you never read what David did when him and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God. They ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Let's continue down here into chapter 3. There's another story here of the Sabbath. Where it says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if they would heal him on the Sabbath. Now understand this. This man with this shriveled hand, now the text doesn't say this, But most likely, knowing kind of how physical ailments worked back then, most likely this man would not be able to work because most of the work was labor. Labor. (laughs) So he wouldn't be able to work. He wouldn't be able to provide for his family as the commandments require. This man would not be able, possibly depending on the type of ailment, to even worship because certain ailments, certain people would be treated as unclean. And the religious people, they're not looking to see if Jesus will heal. The issue isn't the miracle. The issue is not, will he heal? The issue is, when will he heal? We have this man who cannot work, cannot provide for his family, who may not be able to worship and come into the presence of God as being one of un, who is unclean. What is more important in that moment of making this man whole to provide for his family as the commands, the commandments require, to bring him cleanse, cleanliness and to bring him back into the family of God? What's more important? Well, to these Pharisees, while they're looking closely. And so Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. So then he looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. And his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The plot to kill 
Jesus begins not with the miracles, not with the teaching, but with breaking tradition. Think of that. Think of that. See, and again, there I have nothing against tradition. I think tradition is beautiful and is good when it draws people closer to God. But when tradition trumps God, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Like, I love studying the times when the New Testament says Jesus was angry. <laughs> Google that. It's a great little study. <laughs> because usually the time when you find Jesus angry at people, and you got to think about this for a moment. This is, the, this is God. This is the second part of the Trinity who so loved the world, who came to earth to die for us. That's a pretty loving person. And yet, certain human behavior deeply distresses him. <laughs> and pretty much every single time, it's when our stubborn human hearts love our tradition more than the work of God. Right, So this is kind of what Jesus is teaching them. He's teaching them, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. This Sabbath day that is set apart, this day that should look different than every other day. Right, He is the Lord of it. He has authority over it. And what's amazing about it is that it's a gift. It's a spiritual, uh, sorry, Sabbath is a gift from God. And it's a gift that you and I have the choice to accept it or not to accept it. Just like Jesus himself. Jesus loves you so much. And Jesus died for you. Jesus wants you to have life and have life to the full. Jesus wants you to fully engage with his mission in this city and in this world. And he loves us so much. He allows us to reject it. And the same is true of Sabbath. So what I want to do is I want to kind of, I've been on a journey about Sabbath for years now. So some of this might be familiar if you've been to our church for a significant amount of time. But I think this is a topic that is so crucial to understand and to look at regularly as Christians today. Because I want to unpack, we're going to look at two big mistakes that I think the church makes about Sabbath. And then we're going to look at what the Sabbath actually look like and how we implement it into our lives. So two big mistakes that we make. The first is this. I encourage you to write these down and talk about them in your life group this week. The first is we overemphasize Sabbath. We overemphasize Sabbath. Let me just show of hands. How many of you grew up in a very strict religious home? There's some hands that can go up. Yeah. Okay, now if kids, if, if you want to answer that question, but your parents are right beside you and they're very strict and religious, you can come talk to me after the service and let me know that you wanted to raise your hand. But, you know, um, yes, a lot of us grew up in very strict, strict religious homes. One of my best friends grew up in such a home. He has shown me pictures of the cottage that his family owned when they were growing up. And this cottage, and again, I'm not a camping person. I'm not a water person, but oh my goodness, I could get into that life. The log cabin and the boat and the 
dock and the fishing gear and the barbecue. Yeah, I could, I could, I could learn to start getting into that. That wasn't like the camping I do or sleeping in a tent in the rain. This was living, right? And he grew up in a household. I think there were six boys and two girls, six boys and two girls, six boys and two girls. And on Sunday after church in one of the most beautiful God created places I've ever seen on picture. It was, you will sit at the dining room table and you will read your Bible. And that's it. Because today is the Sabbath day and we're going to dedicate it to the Lord. And we're going to consecrate it for spiritual things. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I'm sitting there going, me as a child, that I would have died doing that. Kevin, you're going to sit at this table all day and read the book of Mark. (laughs) Book of Mark's not in my Bible, Dad. (laughs) Then read Matthew. (laughs) There's no book of Matthew in my Bible, Dad. (laughs) I would have gone crazy. Right? So we overemphasize because we take these things and we're so worried about getting them wrong these secondary things that the Bible teaches, we're so worried about getting them wrong, we make them primary things. And what that means is if I get this wrong, I might get everything wrong and I might lose my salvation. Because <laughs> if I get this wrong, God's going to hate me. <laughs> if I get this wrong, God's going to punish me. <laughs> so we overemphasize it. That's what was happening in Jesus' day. Creating all these rules, all these regulations, right? Right? You know, if you would have asked an Old Testament, uh, sorry, an Old Testament or kind of in Jesus' day, if you would have asked one of these religious scribes, one of these religious leaders and said, could you, will God hate you if you don't keep the Sabbath? Their answer would probably be yes. God will hate you if you don't do this right. And so sometimes some of us grow up in these very, very strict religious environments where God will hate you if you don't get this right. Now, I think this is still true today. But I don't think it is as true as it would have been maybe a couple of generations ago. I think the pendulum has swung way the other way. And the other big mistake is that we underemphasize Sabbath. I think because a couple of generations ago, my generation, my parents' generation, we grew up in such strict environments that we went, whoosh, freedom the other way. <laughs> and we completely under-emphasize Sabbath, right? The fourth commandment, I don't need it. I'm free from the law. I'm free from the commandments. I have Jesus. Jesus forgives everything. Doesn't matter what I do. Doesn't matter how I live. Well, the problem with under-emphasizing Sabbath is we live in a culture today where everyone is exhausted. I wake up some mornings and I'm tired. What's the deal? I just slept eight hours. And my Fitbit says they were a good eight hours. I wasn't snoring. Unless I probably was. I was probably snoring. I snore like a truck. Okay. And I'm sitting there going, I slept good. I slept consistent. And I'm already tired. All I've done is put the dog out and turned on the coffee maker. And I'm already exhausted. I'm already ready to go back to bed. Yeah, I talk to people all the time. How you doing? Answer number one, fine. 
finds the F word. You know that, okay? Answer number two, tired. And we wear it like a badge of honor. Because if I'm not tired, people are going to think I'm lazy. If I'm not tired, people are going to think I'm not worth it. Or I'm not valuable to keep in my company. Or I'm not doing my share. So we wear our tiredness proudly. (laughs) Because Sabbath is unimportant. And we live in a culture today that has more anxiety, more depression, more mental health struggles, more suicide, more loneliness than any other culture in human history. So we overemphasize, make it all about religious law. We underemphasize thinking it's not important. What do we do with this spiritual gift? What do we do with this rest that God has given us? If Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, if we are followers of Jesus, I've come to believe that Sabbath keeping still plays an important part of our lives. It's not about religious. It's not about legalism. It's not about legalism. But Sabbath plays an important journey in our lives. And I have been on a journey personal journey when it comes to Sabbath keeping. I've been talking to a lot of people on this topic. I read a lot of authors on this topic. I've talked to mentors and professors at Heritage Seminary. I even got together with a guy who grew up Jewish and him and his family converted to Christianity and how they still keep the Friday sundown to Saturday sundown Sabbath keeping in their family because this fascinates me to learn from it what the Sabbath keeping need. If Jesus is truly Lord of the Sabbath, and we truly want to live lives that are surrendered to Jesus as Christians in the world today, what do we do with commandment number four? So what I want to do is I'm going to quickly share four points from a book that I read. This is a book by a woman named Marva Dawn. She wrote this great book. If you want to write this down, it's a book called Keeping Sabbath Holy. This has been a great, great book for me to work on. And to try to implement into my life. And here's the thing about Sabbath keeping in my life. In some seasons, I'm doing great. And then other seasons, I'm not. And so I'm speaking from the experience of the difference between when it's good and when it's not. Okay? So let's look a little bit of what the heart behind Sabbath keeping is. Right? Because again... Culturally, we look at rest, we look at hobbies, we look at days off like work, 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 crash. Work, 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 crash. That's how we handle it. And what we do in the crash is we usually go on vacation. I'm just going to work and work. I just got to get to my vacation. And if I get to this vacation, then I'm going to be so much better off. I remember one year, Danielle and I, we were so tired years and years and years ago before we had kids. We didn't even have kids yet, and we were tired, okay? <laughs> and we, if, if I just get on that plane to Jamaica, everything's going to be great. Remember that trip? Did I like that trip? No, I hated that trip. $4,000 to be the most stressed out I have ever been in my life. Okay, the plane coming home, there was a typhoon. And we're sitting in the airport in this massive tropical storm, and and they're going, well, after waiting there for 12 hours, they finally put us on the plane and go, well, we think we can take off. In a tube built by the lowest bidder. There was nothing relaxing about that. Okay, so culturally, we've got this broken 
that we're going to kill ourselves to just get to these magical, mystical vacations that just make us just as tired, stress us out just as much, and don't accomplish rest. (laughs) See, Hebrew people thought of the week radically different, is I get to be with God and be in the presence of God, hear from God, learn from God, commune with God, enjoy God, and then I go into my week. See the difference? The Jewish people, Sabbath. And we're going to explain what that means in a moment. And then step into the week. We as modern day Christians, we step into our weeks and hope the Sabbath will clean up the mess. So here's the difference. This is what she wrote in her book, Marva Dawn's book, Keeping Sabbath Holy. Four quick things about keeping Sabbath. The first is ceasing. Ceasing. I try to say that with my lisp. Ceasing. It means stop. I get to about eight seconds, and then my brain starts going, say something, say something, say something. (laughs) Ceasing. Stop. Stop in our needs, in our demands of other people, in this idea that I need to be productive. All the time. See, we struggle with ceasing and stopping. I know a lot. See, I'm actually blessed that my salary is not based on number of hours work. You know, I tried to negotiate that I should get double time on Sundays, the way some other people kind of get paid on their job on Sundays. That 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 negotiation didn't really work. Because most people think I only work on Sunday. So why would you get double time on Sunday, right? I'm kidding. I didn't actually do that, right? But I understand some people, they ha- if you don't work, you don't get paid. And I get the challenge of that. But the challenge of it is not so much the pay of it. It's the dependency of it. Where it's I work and I work and I work and I worry and I stress and I worry. And we actually take God out of the equation. We take God out of the equation. You see, there's been a massive cultural shift in how the workplace works now. You know, in my parents' generation, you went to your job. More and more and more people work in an environment where your job comes to you. Where you're on email 24-7, text messages 24-7. A lot of people, more people don't even need to go into the office to accomplish the work that they need to do. And that's growing. That's not declining. That is growing more and more and more and more. And we're going to see more people. We're going to see another generation completely connected to their work. You don't go to work. Work comes to you. How do we cease in that? I actually was just studying this and evaluating this just a couple of days ago with some of the staff restructuring we're working on right now. In my role right now, you can call me here at the church. You can call me at home. You can call my cell phone. You can text me on my cell phone. You can text me through Facebook. You can text me through Instagram. You can text me through Twitter. You can text me through uh, a WhatsApp. Okay, that's just eight ways to reach me. My phone beeps all the time. From friends and family and church and this and that and hobby groups and this and this. It's like, it's just always buzzing. 
Okay. I'm actually incredibly grateful that I have teenagers in the house now who, who steal my charger and don't put it back. I, I, God bless them because this is the way God has been implementing Sabbath into my life and because I don't know where my charger is. I know, Sam, it's not you. It's the other one. Okay. Five dollars. <laughs> He's not here. He's serving in kid zone. Okay. Don't snitch on me when I talk about my kids. I hate it when you do that. Cameron, your dad talked about you today. Come on. We're in this together, parents. Okay. But I love the fact that I don't know where my charger is. You know why? Because my phone dies. And for 24 hours, Greenbelt survives. And you survive. The problem that you got that it took your life to get into, it could wait another six hours. Didn't take six hours to create the problem. It's not going to get solved in the next six hours either. Like it's, it's when we step back and we cease, we let God be God. And regardless of how, whatever we're called to do in our work. The other part of Sabbath keeping is this idea of rest, right? It's the work we, in our work week, there's little opportunity to slow down, to just notice the glory of God. Right. One of the things, again, when my kids were little, Sabbath was easy to implement when our kids were little because we had this thing called Sunday afternoon nap time. Exactly. Every mom, I just watched all of you. Every mom went, ah, you remember how amazing Sunday afternoons were when your kids were babies. Oh, it was the best. You go to church, you sing some songs, you go to the cafe, have some cake, you go home and you rest. It's God invigorating to take a nap. <laughs> then you have teenagers and you don't nap anymore and your phone is buzzing and we got to binge this thing on Netflix and we forgot how to rest. Right? Sabbath keeping for me is a part of it's okay to take a nap. Moms, your house will survive. If you take a nap, your kids will survive. Give them to dad. Dad's not a babysitter. He's dad. Is he going to do it different than you? Yep. Be okay with the fact that he's going to do it different than you. And go take a nap. It's good to rest. Right? So we cease. We rest. This one's one of my favorites. And she says this in the book is we have to learn to embrace Right? God has blessed you with amazing things. God has blessed you if you're married. God has blessed you with a spouse. If God has blessed you with children, God has blessed you with children. If you have a home, if you own a home, if you're renting a great place, God has blessed you with a place to live. God has blessed you with a car, with a hot tub, with a pool, with a video game system. Whatever God has blessed you with, enjoy it. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your home. Enjoy your children. A little harder maybe at certain ages, but you know what I mean? It's God has blessed us with so much. Do we actually take time to enjoy it? 
I was talking with a good friend of mine. He, he's not a, a Christian, doesn't believe in God, and he, uh, he, he's kind of more well-to-do than I am. So he has lots of toys. Like he's got the fancy hot tub and the pool and big screen TV, and he's got all of these toys. And it's fascinating when I get together and talk with him because he is one of the most stressed out people I have ever met in my life. Why? Because his toys keep breaking. <laughs> okay, the hot tub's leaking. I got to fix that. That's $2,000. Oh, now the pool is leaking. I got to fix that. That's another $8,000. Oh, now my car broke down. My BMW broke down. This broke down. All of his toys break. And so he's incredibly stressed out. I'm like, dude, when's the last time you just sat in your hot tub and enjoyed it? Because I haven't sat in that hot tub in years. I go, can I use it? Could you just leave the gate in your backyard open? Like an eye, like a, some nights when I'm not sleeping well, I'll just get up, I'll drive, you don't live far away, I'll just hop, I'll just hop the fence, I'll just sit in your hot tub. Don't call the cops. If you hear someone in your hot tub, it's me, and we're close. We've known each other for a long time, right? We forget how to embrace and enjoy the gifts of God, our family, our homes, our church. Enjoy it. Enjoy being a part of it. And then finally, this is what is one of my favorite, and this is one of the ones I think we as Baptists get right, uh, feasting. <laughs> Nothing like a good old-fashioned Baptist potluck to make you feel close to God, <laughs> right? Is we pause and we feast and we celebrate, <laughs> right? And not only do we just feast on food, we feast on music, we feast on creation, we feast on, on affections, we feast on festival, <laughs> And yeah, we throw in some food there too. I mean, the people of Israel had parties and parties and parties and parties. Fascinating when you study Old Testament giving, we talk about the tithe. Yeah, you give your 10% to the work of the temple, but then there was a party tax as well. What if we, if you study, it's not 10%, it's like 22. Because we all contribute to the party. And we celebrate and we feast together. And what God has done, we cease, we rest, we embrace, and we feast, right? This is a spiritual gift of God. And you and I have the choice. We can accept it. I go, eh, I'm busy. <laughs> I'm just going to keep, doesn't matter what I want, what the fourth commandment does. And I have tried many times to make this a bigger part of my life. And I know the spiritual blessing when I do compared to the spiritual blessings when I don't. <laughs> feel closer to God. I hear God more. I see God moving more. And it's not because I'm being religious and keeping laws. Because I'm spending time with him and hearing from him. Jesus said these words, and I think these words are just as relevant today as they were when he said them 2,000 years ago. I think these words speak to a busy, tired, overworked culture that we live in. I think these words speak into people who just want to be religious And keep all the rules. Jesus says this. Come to me. Come to me. All of you who are weary. And you're burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. And learn from me. Sabbath keeping takes a bit of learning on how to do it. (laughs) Your flesh will Fight it. Culture will push against it. (laughs) Learn from me. Because Jesus knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for you more than you know what's best for you. And Jesus says, for I am gentle and I'm humble of heart. And you will find rest 
for your soul. (laughs) Jesus isn't trying to screw you out of more money for your bank account, your RSP, your RESP. Jesus isn't trying to make it so that you don't get the promotion. Jesus isn't trying to make it so that your life sucks and is miserable and boring. (laughs) Jesus has bigger plans for your life than you do. (laughs) To meet with God, to commune with God, to grow in your faith with God, and then to be used by God for his glory. Come to me, all of you who are weary, and Jesus will give us rest. Let's pray. Well, Father God, I praise you and thank you for this commandment number four, one that I have personally battled with, one that I have hated, one that I have loved, and one that I have had every emotion in between on how, God, do you want me to live out this Sabbath rest? Ultimately, I am grateful for Jesus that he carries the burden that he paid for my sin. He accomplished on the cross what I could never accomplish, and that is to be made holy before God. He did it. Only he did it. And that was a free gift. And maybe you're here today, and this idea of this gift of Jesus is new for you. I want you to know you can easily accept it just by saying, God, thank you for the gift of Jesus Today I turn to him. And for those of us who've accepted that free gift, I'm grateful for the reminder that, God, you've given us many gifts. And one of the gifts that you have given us is the Sabbath, that we have permission to rest in your presence. So God, as your children, as your followers, help us to cease, help us to rest, help us to embrace, and help us to feast. Help us to learn from you so that, God, we could be used for your glory. We're going to collect our offering now. This is just a part of our worship. If you're a guest with us, don't feel obligated to give unless God puts it on your heart to do so. We do also understand that, you know, checks and and cash has kind of gone the way of the dodos. There is a way that you could text to give as well through the church uh, app or through the text to give that should be on the screen. We're just going to pray for the offering. Lord God, I thank you for the generosity of your children, and I pray, God, you, you would use these gifts and multiply it greatly for your glory, that we would be on mission of knowing, living, and sharing Jesus and sharing the good news of what Jesus has done everywhere that we go. And Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship, I pray that you would minister and speak to each and every heart today. Help us to find our rest in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.